Hello, and welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. Uh, today we're going to be finishing up our conversation about the Warlord uh, that we started last week. But before that, uh, Mango, you had a piece of fan mail Well, I mean, first of all, I think we need to say that we also have our special guest co-host, Mark, on the show, friend of the show. Oh, right, yes. I say hi, Mark. Hi, everyone. That. I'm very good I'm your at spe- this job. And before I go into our our first fan letter, uh, buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what we do on this podcast? Well, it's pretty simple, Mango and Mark, both of you guys. We talk about games. All right, so um, normally this is where we go into the stuff where we talk about our week, and we are going to do that, but I also wanted to mention we got our first piece of fan mail from a mysterious fan. I believe his name is Aaron. Um, (laughs) And he says... uh, Hi, Mango and Buddy. I often lose track of when either of your campaigns are starting, so I was wondering if you could post on Twitter when one of your D&D Pathfinder games or streams is about to start. Also, if what if during your weekly roundups, you went over what happened plot-wise in your favorite moments from this week's session. Awesome show, Aaron. First of all, thanks for the love, Aaron. Uh, you know, we, we, are, we, we do this because we love it, and we're glad that somebody else appreciates it, too. But second of all, I think that's a really excellent idea. Um, and it's pretty good right now because we, we have the GM for one of the campaigns on the show with us uh, in, in the form of Mark. Um, so we can, we can do this. I think this is a great idea. So I agree. We, uh, I, I, I will also make a point of tweeting out our start times. Uh, a lot of the times we, you know, uh, we do a lot of uh, kind of scheduling that behind the scenes that you guys might not necessarily see. So this stream would start up at a weird time, but I feel like tweeting it out at the appropriate, uh, you know, to just let everyone know is probably a great way to handle that. Yeah. So thanks for the excellent suggestion. So let's jump right into it. Uh, let's start with uh, with uh, Rise of the Rune Lords for this week. It was actually last week, but conveniently, we we don't have to, we can just go right into it. So so. Uh, oh man, Mark, you want you want to set the scene a little bit for what happened last week? So basically, uh, the players found the source of this huge conspiracy that's been gripping the city they've been adventuring in. And then they go to go kill her, and the battle site eventually explodes due to actions of the players, and rocks fall, and she got killed by them. That was, uh, yeah, that was pretty crazy. I, uh, I think my expectation for the fight was, uh, was thoroughly kind of dispelled. Uh, as soon as we got into the tower and it had all of this phlogiston stuff, I was expecting a kind of very, you know, like sort of prototypical climb the tower, get the, you know, beat a bunch of mooks, get to the top, fight the boss at the top of the tower kind of thing. Um, and that is not how it went at all. No, I tried to make the encounter area very flexible. So as written in the adventure path, that is uh, supposed to be what happens. You climb the tower, you fight the boss at the top, and... That's kind of the end-all to be-all. But what I did is, because a bunch of my players have already seen that particular set of encounters before, is I kind of merged it into this, you know, continuous battle site where you can sort of, where the players were allowed to pick their engagement wherever they chose. And I kind of expanded on that by giving each of the characters a different kind of combat option they could pursue, in addition to just, uh, you know, getting on the boss and hitting them really hard. I, I think the, the single biggest change you made, though, which probably had the biggest effect in our game is you, uh, you filled the bottom of the tower with explosive phlogiston, which is not in the original adventure path, as I would point out. 
Yeah, that no. was. Uh, <laughs> I'm a big, I'm a big fan of Flagristid, but I haven't really used it all that much in this campaign. I have, I kind of like this this kind of. Uh, uh, and this is kind of weird headcanon that I think about all the time because I because I'm a theater kid like this. Kanbei likes using Flagristid and likes using like the environment in that kind of way because you know like. To him, he's not a very good one on one. Or no, 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 no. Kambe, oh, okay, from Endless Winter, because you know, like he, he's not a very good fighter one on one, right? And he feels like he needs the, uh, you know, he kind of needs the help from being an aware combatant in the environment in order to do good. But Kenzo's the opposite, right? Kenzo's really good at one on one, but he's super paranoid about drawing attention to himself. So the idea to like blow up the entire tower is just not something that Kenzo would really be thinking about because he. He's very focused on being discreet and doesn't feel like he needs the kind of uh, advantages that coming that fighting in the environment, uh, you know, come from. So I'm actually really interested to hear how, uh, as players, you guys uh, interacted with the encounter and how you guys felt about it and what you thought in terms of the execution. Because it was, uh, you know, I, I was a little worried when I was designing it about options paralysis. But uh, I think people kind of executed on that fairly well for the most part. Yeah, we talked a little bit about this off cast. And I actually think that this makes a pretty good topic for a future cast. So a little foreshadowing for the, the dear listeners out there. Um, but the, the, the mechanics of the boss, um, having two rounds and being focused on illusion magic um, and enchantment magic, which kind of created a lot of like... It, it created a little bit of uh, uh, a dynamic where, in order for the boss to be successful, the, she needed to constantly be CCing the party to balance out the action economy. Um, and I think that that is good. You know, like that's that's good design in in my head for how to handle that kind of boss fight. Um, but it is one of those things where you run the risk of really frustrating, you know, really frustrating players because I feel like players just hate to get crowd controlled in general. Um, yeah. I, on top of that, like, like I, like I, like I agree with, but I think it's 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 good, it's it's good design. I think that one of the specific weaknesses of letting a boss act twice in a round are things like, um, if you, if for specifically for this boss, actually, there aren't many spells with this type of thing, but some of the spells that the psionics that this uh, that this boss used were like, oh well, the effect only lasts for a round if you save, which is normally kind of like, well it's okay for whatever else is happening in, in, in the fight. Um, but by the time her turn comes back around when she can really take advantage of it, it's already worn off. That feels like a, a, a real save. Um, this happened to my character, which is kind of why it stuck out in my mind. If, if you can't <laughs> tell. Um, but the fact that she can act again in the round when I, I felt like, I kind of felt like some of my saves that were saves weren't really saves. Um, if that makes sense, I just, it's like saves like four times in a row. I but, uh, definitely, yeah, I definitely agree with that to a certain extent, but I do think that there are bigger, if you were to ask me to weigh the pros and cons of, uh, of allowing a boss to act twice in a round, that would certainly be in the con pile, uh, but I kind of do think the pros outweigh it. Like, I think that oh, there, no, absolutely. it is, it is, it is, you know, good design, as long as you, like, work around it, right? Like, I don't think every game ever should have it, but it is a very viable solution to kind of the boss fight problem. Oh, oh no, I, I, I agree 110%. I just think that that's a thing to keep into consideration, a thing to maybe try and, if you're going to put that those types of homebrews in, to try and homebrew around that as well. But, yeah. Sorry, Mark. Can, go on. Oh, well, I was actually using the uh, Agile Mythic template as a way of giving 
need her a second action and giving her some speed in case you guys did take the fight to the top of the tower. So she could she has a climb speed, so she can kind of dip in and out around the crown of this uh, structure right. and sort of pick you know pick and choose her engagement points, yeah, which I thought was... Yeah, I, I definitely feel that. So, but on top of that, I think the thing that I was trying to execute on was giving the play, like, avoiding, like, crowd controlling the entire party, and the two rounds was a way of switching back and forth between who she was locking down to allow um, the other half of the party or whatever to deal with her in, in kind of the intervening span. So it became, you know, it, it's a little oppressive, but I think in terms of, like, bosses you fight once like that, I feel that was a better execution on, uh, you know, a very unique boss fight mechanic as opposed to um, some of the other ones that I've done with uh, illusion and hiding and stealth bosses. Right, but there's also, uh, like, I, I see what you're saying about crowd controlling the players and having the, the ability to do that or whatever, but a lot of crowd control is lar- longer than one round anyway. Oh, Hypothetically yeah. speaking, she could have CC'd the entire party if she hit each individual of us with oppressive fear i I was cc'd for like four turns by that um and so it it is entirely possible for for a boss like that to uh uh completely lock down the entire party yeah i I think i think cc against players is is something that gets like its own cast right like how to deal with that right like i think there's a lot lot in there that we could talk about but uh anyway the other game that we played this week was iron gods um which was run on uh, on Tuesday, and uh, the, the, it, the we're basically just in the middle of this dungeon crawl where we keep moving forward, clearing a couple of runes for th- three or four hours, and then calling it a night. This week, though, the best fight was uh, we were in, like, the recreation area of the starship, and uh, there were a bunch of sparring sparring robots, and as soon as we entered the room, they were they all said, "Show me your moves!" And you know the GM turned on the uh, whatever the what's mute, the, city. Mute, yeah, mute city, mute city, <laughs> um, and we all we all fought one on one with our with our Cap Falcons. I was actually really sad because like I really want you to like my character's a brawler. Obviously, I do the very closest thing to a Falcon punch in the entire uh, in the entire game, and I was really looking forward to my round. And then I real and then I one shot my Captain Falcon, and we moved on. And I was like, "Oh, it's so anticlimactic!" Like, <laughs> I, just, I think that's another thing to talk about uh, in a future cast is just the uh, kind of like the rocket tag nature of high level play, because like Felox is like everyone was like, "Oh." you know oh this multi-class is so dumb that it's like you know we hit level 10 or whatever and i'm just one-shotting people i think uh, i think a lot of this is because uh, the gm of that game to reference an earlier podcast of ours uh, the gm of is that our game friend nick, nick is like ridiculously raw uh mango is very raw but like i feel nick nick is the most blatant example of raw that you guys would be able to see by you know watching our ca- our games and everything uh, and we have we have all collectively min maxed our characters pretty hard uh, because you know he he's told us basically that he maxes out the HP values on everything we fight, and uh, we're still clearing encounters without all that much trouble, except for the one with the ghosts. In which case, it was like surprise. Yeah, but that 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 was something that addressed kind of a specific deficiency in our party, which is ability to hit incorporeal. Um, and I, I think I think you're right, Mark. Though that like this kind of speaks to a, a a problem with very high level Pathfinder is that like the defenses don't scale as much as the attacks do, um, and it's it's kind of like 
big, huge numbers get thrown around. I think it's hard as a GM to design an encounter that kind of hits like, uh, like in my, in my Rune Lords campaign, which is, which is not streamed. Um, it's held in real life. Um, I've had this problem too, where the players aren't that high level. They're like eight or nine, I think, but they still like, I, I've been, my first attempt was just throwing on some extra health. And at a point it's just like, well, then they spend five rounds beating on the sack of HP instead of two. It's not actually that much more interesting. To be honest, this kind of sounds like it's it's getting into its own cast territory. But yeah. uh, I think a big uh, I think a big help in that situation are the attunement bonuses from items. Um, I think one of the big problems with uh, the the Iron Gods version of this is that not only not only are all items open to be like bought and sold right but we we also have taken the item creation feats which i think are just ridiculously broken so we've really been able to maximize our gold um uh, to the point where you know it's it's almost impossible for uh it's almost impossible for us to miss on a bulk of our attacks uh going up against enemies yeah. i i think weirdly item creation feats um you know, like the, the the trade-off is supposed to be you're trading out a feat for them, so you get that that item bonus. But what what happens is, is that item creation feats scale with party size really well, right? Yeah, like we've got a five-man party, and so we get five times the bonus of the item creation feat. Whereas like a standard four-man party or an underpowered three-man party isn't going to be as well served by that item creation feat because that's a third of their you know that's that's one character's feats, which is like a third of the feats instead of a fifth of the feats, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, like it, you're probably right. That could probably go into its its own cast. But um, just for some memorable moments, uh, there was the Captain Falcon fight. I personally love my character can turn into an Andro Sphinx, and I had a couple of times where you oh say that as God. if people understand what that means. <laughs> like you know, yeah. oh, do you, do you, all of the viewers just happen to offhand know what an Andro Sphinx yeah. is? <laughs> so my my character is a Blood Rager and the Arcane Sixteenth Level Power. Um, which I got early because of uh, an item, uh, lets you cast uh, B-Shape 4 on yourself. And an Andro Sphinx is a, essentially a Sphinx, and he's got pounce and two claws and a grab, and he can speak so I can still cast spells while I'm doing it. And, uh, yeah, he kind of, like, just grabs things and tears it apart. And I always love imagining on these, like, really big hits where the grabs are also really great. It's just, like, holding the person up in the air and, like, tearing it in half. Um <laughs> Uh, and that's that's always fun for me, um, given that my character is essentially a, a full attack character, and he only rolls twice because he's using natural attacks. But uh, also, we had this. Uh, the, I think the pulse pounder was pretty great. So there's this big robot, which is oh uh, yeah, I forgot about that. It's, it's a techno. It's a techno cannon golem, and one of our character, one of our friends' characters, Muher, can take control of robots. So he does that, turns it into a fleshy tech cannon golem, and then gets it stolen back from him. And there, and you know, just go back and forth. I thought, I thought that that engaged that that kind of bind picture was was really really fun, and I really enjoyed that. What about you guys? You guys have any other memorable moments from from this week's Iron Gods? I think the Captain Falcon fight was definitely like far and away my favorite part, just because it was you know it's a really interesting encounter on its own, but Nick really kind of took it home, and that was you know that was great. Yeah. I, uh, I, it, it was, a, it was a pretty good, uh, representation of what this whole campaign has been like. Yeah. Uh, it's, on, it's basically on, one uh, giant, like, 80s metal album. Yeah. 
Like, that's that's literally the best way to describe Iron Gods. It's like, yeah, you know, you guys, you're evil space wizards, you got your tech guns, you got your mutation. <laughs> it's like Fallout yes. Numeria. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um... um... On to, like, just if we want to quickly do our, our normal weeks um, for in video games, uh, I'll go first. Um, I played some Undertale. That game's neat. I look forward to playing more of it. It's funny. I don't know if it's as good as everybody wants. Like, everybody's like, oh, it's like the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I don't know if it's that good, but it's pretty good. Um, so I'll continue to play that critically acclaimed game. Um, and I also played some of the Street Fighter V beta this this uh, this weekend. Uh, and, you know, Zangief's in it. And I'm loving the Geef. I'm not very good, because I've never been very good. But uh, I'm liking the changes they made to Zangief. He's grappling everybody, like he does. He's got a lot more options to move through fireballs. Um, and so that's been uh, th- that's been my week in video games. Buddy, did you ever get around to playing any of the Street Fighter V beta? I did not get around to playing I I haven't even installed it yet, but I guess I probably should because I, I promised you that I would. It expires um, tonight. Yeah, I've been playing uh, I've been playing a like a, a, a like a shotgun blast of different games. You know, like I'd resubbed into World of Warcraft and I've been playing with, with, with Mark, obviously. Um, I've been playing the Mass Effect three multiplayer with our friends, uh, because I lo- I love that game so much. Oh, it's so fun. Uh, and then just I've I've been continuing this redo, uh, this redone playthrough on Mass Effect one, which uh, I'll probably talk about that a little bit next week. Uh, and uh, the last game that I've been playing, uh, which is escaping my mind oh uh the other game i've been playing is the telltale i've been finishing the telltale game of thrones uh which i will also talk about next week probably um but uh yeah because it's one of those things where i played the first episode months and months and months ago and i love that game i love these telltale games they're so good they're just so great um and but are uh, they but are they actually games yes uh <laughs> God, man, we're teasing for those all, that, of the, all of the future podcasts today. For, the, for those of you at home, uh, this is just a reference to the fact that I think a lot of the Telltale games are not, like, actually video games. I think a part of them are, but the, as it, like, we have and an That's why we only bring Mark on for tabletop casts. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that, that'll be a real cast. I think that's no, an yeah. important cast to have. No, it, it as, is. Like, uh, Jokes aside, yeah. Terms, uh, yeah. But yeah, so you know, I've been so so those are the those are the games I'm playing. I'm trying to like I'm trying to finish stuff out because uh, you know it's the end of the year or whatever, and I don't want to uh, I don't want to like let it drag. I guess. Fair enough, Mark. What have you been up to this week in video games? Um, playing you know the usual World of Warcraft, and right now I'm just sort of waiting on a new TV. Then I'm gonna probably like dig in really hard in Bloodborne. Oof exciting it's uh you know it's it's simple but it brings me joy so (laughs) i I don't know if i'd call bloodborne simple like but bloodborne's a pretty hardcore game i played that game a while ago and i got past like the second boss and then i was like "Uh, i'm tired Um, Uh, i love i love that shit though like oh oh, my god no absolutely Uh, that's you know that does that show in my D games maybe a little bit but (laughs) all right i remember beating the second boss and being like ugh. There's like 37 more of these. Might as well quit while I'm ahead. Uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, so to get into the actual meat of today's episode, we're going to be continuing with the Warlord, uh, which we 
uh, started last week. To any, you know, first-time listeners or people that didn't listen to last week's episode, uh, I, I highly recommend going back and listening to, what was it, episode 9 or whatever? Ten. Maybe episode 10. Episode 10, which is the Warlord Part 1. Uh, we talk about, you know, where I came up with the idea and all of that kind of stuff and dealt with the base, the kind of like the base stats uh, and the bulk of the Warlord class, which are these orders. Um in the description, you'll find a link to two versions of the Warlord. The Warlord as it is currently, uh, which is, you know, me going back and editing the class after uh, today's cast. And you will also find a time capsule version of the Warlord, which is the exact same Warlord uh, stats that we are talking about today. Um, but yeah, I guess we should, uh, I guess we should just get right into it. Um, besides uh, just, orders... Just... I was going to say, oh, just, just just to lay out the roadmap, we're going to go through the rest of the class. We stopped at the end of orders last time. We're going to go through the rest of the cat, rest of the, rest of the class. And then after that, we're probably going to go back to orders because, one, we want Mark's uh, input on it. And, uh, two, because it, all, it also had a lot of design space left in it, things to think about to, to maybe balance that a little bit more. Yeah, I've definitely got a lot of thoughts that I want to, like, bounce off you guys. Yeah, um, and, and if we finish out talking about orders, then we're going to move on to, like, archetypes and potential feats and stuff like that but yeah to 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 go on i think the next feature is what uh combat medic buddy yeah combat medic is the last feature that warlords get at level one uh it basically reads uh i mean it it's pretty straightforward um a warlord adds half his character level to any heal check he makes um and uh, he can use the Treat Deadly Wounds action, which is in the heal skill, uh, without taking a penalty for lacking a healing kit. Normally you can't make that uh, without without using uh, a healing kit. And he, instead of using his Wisdom modifier, instead he uses his Charisma modifier. On top of that, at 5th level, the Warlord receives the Signature Skill Heal as a bonus feat. Signature Skill coming, of course, from uh, Pathfinder Unchained. Um, which kind of powers up his ability to treat deadly wounds uh, for the party. Uh, I'm sure that you guys see exactly what I'm doing with this. The Warlord isn't a healer, right? And he can't heal the way that a cleric can uh, with spells or like a cleric or a bard or whoever, uh, you know, using spells. So I thought it was important that even though, you know, he has this temporary hit point stuff with Rally, uh, with Into the Fray, uh, I thought it was important that after a fight was over, he could at least, you know, patch people up with first aid in order to get them, uh, in order to get them some of the HP that these other support classes would have been able to, uh, would have been able to. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. What, what, uh, what do you guys think? I think it's a, I think it's a really neat implementation. I think the, the feature as written is a little wordy in the sense that, like, I think you should just give them signature skill heal as a bonus feat, no matter if they qualify for it or not, and call it a day. And, but there's also a combat medic teamwork feat, I think, which is, like, you can use it as a standard action. So maybe working that in there somehow, too. Like as So part to of be like clear, a they do yeah. receive signature skill heal as a bonus feat, regardless of the prerequisites. But the signature skill only triggers if they have enough ranks, right? So this is, if a level, if a level uh, oh, 10 I warlord okay. hasn't put any ranks into heal, he still gets, he, he still, like, gets that bonus benefit, benefit just Right, naturally. but just not as much. Okay. Yeah. I see. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, so... As far as things go, I think squad tactics, uh, we were mentioning in the precast that it's kind of a 
bad name, but I, I don't think it's, I think it's good for what, exa- you know, it's exactly what it says on the tin. It's like the Inquisitor's solo tactics, but reversed. Well, well yeah, so, uh, are we moving on? So, so just, just, just for a little bit of, of formatting, Mark, I think we're going to go feature by feature. We, we, I think, okay. but I think Buddy wants to, to like, we want to read out the, 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 the features feet by feet, but if, you know, I don't really have anything to say about combat medic. I think it's pretty good as written. Um, and then we can kind of move on to the next thing. Yeah, okay. I, uh, I think I, I agree. Combat medic is pretty straightforward. I don't really see it coming out of the class anytime soon. Um, uh, anyway, um, just, but... just one quick thing on it. Do you intend for combat medic to let the warlord use his charisma modifier on the skill as well, or just on the, on the deadly wounds, um, aspect? Uh, just on the deadly wounds okay. aspect, um, because th- this the the that that phrasing is tied to, um, I, I uh, the the only time that hit points get restored with a bonus from the charisma modifier, uh, if I'm understanding the heal skill correctly, is when you're using the treat deadly wounds action. So it's the only time that really applies. Uh, in fact, actually, that was the reason that I added the, you know, c- certain characters have this thing, like, they add half their class, uh, mesmer, mesmerists, yeah. uh, that garbage, garbage class, for instance, add half his cat character level to every bluff check. I, you know, I just put that in there because, obviously, warlords are not built to be wisdom-focused, uh, but I do want them to be, you know, heal, heal is going to be, you know, that that's, that's something that they should reasonably d- perform pretty well at. All right, makes sense to me. Cool. Anyway, so Squad Tactics is the second level ability. Uh, like Mark said, it's pretty straightforward. It is the reverse of Solo Tactics for an Inquisitor. Uh, an Inquisitor's Solo Tactics obviously allow them to take a teamwork feat and treat all of their allies as uh, as if they had that teamwork feat for the purposes of triggering the teamwork feat. Uh, this is the opposite. A Warlord... Um, is treated as having a teamwork feat for any ally within 30 yards of him uh, that has a teamwork feat. So if my rogue has outflank and I'm a warlord, I'm treated as having an, uh, as having that outflank for my rogue. Um, what I like about... What, the reason I implemented it this way is because um, I think the Cavalier ability Tactician is very good and it's very strong and I really wanted to put that in the warlord, uh, but I actually didn't like it... Um, from the perspective of, uh, uh, it kind of violated one of my rules almost as, um, it, it's this, you know, like it's the, the warlord gives out this aura, uh, which I, I wasn't a big fan of. Also, I didn't like the way that the action economy worked. It's another huge action sink because in order to trigger it, you know, you have to use a, a standard action. Um, and of course it's also really, really, you know, powerful, um, so I was trying to think of what's a what's a way that I could flavor in teamwork feats for a warlord and make people think about teamwork feats with regards to the warlord without actually uh, you know pumping up put, putting in a high power class feature in there and squad tactics is kind of that version. Uh, honestly, the warlord doesn't really gain. You, th- this is. It's low power because the warlord is giving his benefit to an ally, right? Like what what this really does is suggest to uh, other members of the party, "Hey, I can take a teamwork feat, and it's and it's it's fine because the warlord always counts as having that active." Yeah, no, I, I definitely think that it's it's a good compromise. I like I like the way it's implemented. Um, I think the full tactician warlord is kind of like an archetype. Like, uh, like, cause you, you have that for several, there's like, uh, what the, yep, there's, there's yeah. a couple classes with, with options like that. Um, 
and uh, I th- I think it's you know I I remember looking at it for the first time and being like that's really clever I really like that so um because oh thank you <laughs> warms warms my heart <laughs> um, so honestly what one of the, my problems with teamwork feats as a system is that they don't ever seem powerful enough and for like a lot of a lot of those feats that are like um that seem to be like you know complement you know like somebody in melee and somebody at range are complementing each other um. They see, like both people need to have that feat, and one character always doesn't need like, you know, like yeah, uh, you they, never want to give. Uh, God, what is it? it I can't one remember that, the names of them. Yeah, there, there's one that's like gives you a bonus, like like a combined arms type of bonus for when being in melee and being ranged. But the prerequisite is point blank shot, and you both need to take this feat. So that's a two seat, two feet sync for your melee character, um, just to activate it for your ranged character. Right. Which is just kind of like <laughs> no, garbage. I think, yeah, I think. Um... I think a way to, like, redo teamwork feats, maybe, is just to have it so, like, there's categories of teamwork feats rather than just, like, you need two copies of Outflank to do this. Instead, if it was, like, you need Outflank and or, you know, ranged flank or something like that. Yeah. And if you... Or, 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 or complementing teamwork feats, right? Like, one person gets ranged... And one person gets melee, and they to be they honest, I, what I always want uh, from teamwork feats is a I, I want I want a teamwork feat like outflank to be you know to have like a solo version where it's functioning at like twenty five percent power, fifty percent power, uh, and then it powers into its full version if somebody else has it, so that it's never quite a dead feat. You know what I mean? And like you can take it at mismatched levels, right? So if your rogue has an open feat at level three and your fighter at level five, the rogue can just take outflank and he's still gaining a little bit of a benefit between those other levels um i feel like that's the that's like the proper implementation but uh it's that's obviously pretty yeah. tough to design around i i also feel like teamwork feats could be their own cast um on their right. own right yeah oh, man God, we need to start writing these down <laughs> <laughs> oh i'm doing that already fair uh, enough um but yeah so that you know that was kind of the genesis behind uh behind squad tactics i uh i i, I want to make a better name for it but uh besides, think, besides that i think squad tactics is actually pretty good just because it kind of riffs on solo tactics or yeah. you know tactician i guess it does i didn't really think about it that way but i guess i don't know i guess three weeks ago buddy was very smart uh, about about the name i i, I, I intended yeah. that reference i think that uh I think that of all of your names in this class, Squad Tactics is probably the one that needs the least amount of work. Uh, really? Damn. Fine. Be that way. Yeah, like, uh... <laughs> uh... What, what? Ambush! Yeah, sh- the order names... How, I, That's the target! The, 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 problem, the problem with the order names is... I inspire uh, I want them to be... I want them to be something that, like, a warlord could actually... You know, for, okay, so for instance... This is going to be tangential, but uh, when they were divining Vi, design, designing Vi in League of Legends, they had a whole bunch of kits, and the lead designer kept throwing out kits because he wanted to make sure that every name and every ability was a punch, right? All of Vi's abilities, you know, Denting Blows, Vault Breaker, uh, you know, Assault and Bat, they're all, they're all de- describing punches because that's what she's about. And that's the, it's the same thing with the Warlord, right? I want all of these names to be, uh, you know, so it's, it's a short, concise thing that the Warlord literally tells a teammate to do, right? He's literally yelling move or strike or rally, right? Uh, but then when you get into, like, 
having to write out 20 different names for this stuff like yeah uh, that's that that's how that's how you get this, the advantage on somebody you yell out ambush while you're ambushing them this kind of how you let, yell out assassinate while you assassinate someone okay mango fine yeah whatever. no i my idealism my idealism is undeterred by your pragmatic <laughs> um, uh, no it just ambush in particular amuses me because i'm just imagining a bunch of people yelling ambush while they jump out of the bushes um, <laughs> i i think that's really cool like the imagery there though it's just it's silly but it's fun like that's kind of um like you'd really get kind of a like there's a little bit of cheesiness to the class, and I think it's done well, though. Like, in that sense of, like, this is your, you know, Captain America-style, like, leader, which I like. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's definitely kind of uh, that's definitely kind of the point. Anyway, the next ability uh, that you unlock at level 4 are Presences. Um, presences are kind of the other big-ticket class feature with orders, so I imagine we're going to talk about them a while. Oh my god, this is just a giant wall of text. Okay, this is what what a presence is. As a swift action, a warlord... uh, So at level 4, he chooses one of five uh, different presences that we'll talk about in a minute, and then he learns a new one every four levels thereafter. Um, when, When a warlord has two or more presences, he can swap between them as a swift action... Um, and then, of course, uh, the Warlord can enter a uh, presence uh, when he's not in one as a swift action, uh, but only in combat, right? So it's, it's kind of like a style where you have to enter combat and then declare the swift action on your first turn in order to get into the presence. What about, um, um, what about making presences like the, you can make them as part of an initiative check as well? I think that might be good to kind of free up the action economy instead of having to require that first round swift action go into uh you know also I it's, feel it's whatever about that to be honest it's uh, also that, something change i don't mind it it's also something to to put up against um what like the the start like into the fray or any of the other starting orders like you have to make that tactical choice there whether or not you want to enter a presence or whether you want to to use, use one of the like quick orders kind of yeah. thing I, I, th- I think that's a good power trade-off there that is actually kind of interesting Okay, yeah, uh, but just to explain the rest of what this uh, what this happens, uh, a presence, while in a presence, a warlord uh, has an ability called Empower that'll probably be changed to something else, uh, which he can use as a standard action. Uh, empowering an ally uh, grants them, a, a sh- you know, a, the, it grants them, a, like, a mechanical benefit for, generally speaking, one role, um... You know, whenever that ally takes an act, like the indicated action, uh, or it, you know, it lasts until the turn, uh, kind of thing. And um, on top of that, any time a warlord in a presence issues an order to uh, to an ally, the ally gains the benefit of the of the warlord's presence. Right. So if I have, uh, you know, what is it, uh, guardian presence, which increases an ally's AC. And I use strike on on one of my allies. They they first they take the strike, but they also get the benefit of that AC bonus until the first attack is rolled against them. I really like that. I think it's um, it adds a lot of little micromanagement to the class, but I think it also adds uh, a good layer of complexity compared to playing a cleric or something like that. Whereas their complexity yeah. comes from managing their spells, but I think this is a lot more interesting in terms of like repetitive implementation. 
Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, also, the so the the other thing about presences is presences are keyed off of the amount of command in your command pool. Um, so uh, the the potency of a presence is going to be very high while you have a lot of command in your command pool and low when you have low command in your command pool if you ever drop to zero you drop out of your presence as well uh by necessity even if you gain present or if you gain command back you don't opt back into the presence or you have to excuse me opt back into the presence as you know a swift action like we talked about um and these are the five presences the first one is guardian presence well let's, uh, let, let's go let's go presence by presence and discuss them individually okay fair all right enough. so guardian presence um is uh you you can empower to ac right so you get uh the the potency this is going to be the potency for all of them is equal to the remaining command points in the warlord's command pool and the bonus is consumed on the first attack against the allies ac uh this is true of all of these right you know it's it's not it's not a bonus that's going to stay up for the full turn only against the first attack they would uh they would suffer so yeah that's guardian presence what do you uh how do we feel hmm so i think I think this is very, very powerful, especially early in the game. Like, I think, um, you know, I, I think, like, a level four application of this, cause also because the, the skirmisher, or not the skirmisher, the um, the present, like, the, the command pool is a relatively static number. Um, at, like, what is probably, like, four or five point bonus at um, at fourth level is going to be pretty powerful. It's going to be essentially... really? The command pool is equal to the intelligence modifier, so it's probably not going to be four or five points. Well, I think I think that's not necessarily true because I believe that um, what what I like about the warlord is that you have to split between wisdom and charisma, and then also your physical stats. That's cool because you kind of have to pick: do I want to be an int warlord or a charisma warlord? Right. But yeah, there's that's, going that's to be but there's going to be someone who who just kind of pumps that stat really high. You know, like, if you're an elf warlord, you're going to have at least three points, probably four in your pool. So... And, and assuming if, extra commands a feat that exists, um, that, like, the presidents make extra command a very, very attractive feat. Um, I think more attractive than your standard uh, feats are. Extra grit or uh, extra panache. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've thought about this. I think the correct answer, though, is just not to have it. Um, I, I think, obviously, you know, it's... Like, overall, it's a good thing and everything like that, but the way the pres- – I think the presences are better uh, better game game designed than having that feat in the game, and so I would rather just not have that feat. Uh, that available. seems reasonable. Um, also, I think I, – I definitely do think uh, – in my mind, uh, there is an intelligence-based presence warlord, right, who doesn't utilize his orders as much as he utilizes his presences. Um or, you know, so for some reason, some orders are really powerful, um, just baseline. Strike, right? Like, strike is just a good order, whether or not you have charisma. Charisma makes it better, obviously, because it pumps the damage. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's whatever. Uh, move is a terrible order if you have no charisma, right? Move is basically worthless. And so I definitely see there being a paradigm of... Um, intelligence-based warlords whose main power is going to be high presence uh, bonuses 
and there are charisma-based warlords who are going to be powerful because, you know, they have the full suite of orders open to them. I think that that's a... I, I like that dynamic, and I've... I've uh, I definitely think it's... it's. I don't know. It's, it's something I was definitely working for. Yeah, I think it's... Uh, I think the scaling off of the points in the pool as a trade-off is a really cool mechanic, and basically, if you pump your int, you're gonna, your presences are going to be really strong, but if you pump your charisma, your um, orders are going to be a lot better. So I think that's a, that's a good trade-off, but as far as the, um, the impact, I think it's kind of overstated how much, like, you know, these individual benefits are very strong, and the fact that they're repet like you can repeat them is certainly an interesting uh, dynamic. But at the same time, it's like, these aren't spells. Like, you get more out of spells than you will ever get out of one of these, especially at higher levels. And I think that's okay. It yeah, I also think that uh, one of the... For instance, it used to be that the presence just tagged on for the whole round, but I think it's important that it falls off on the first roll. Um, right. You know, so, for instance, just to explain that a bit, Mango, for instance, let's say I I give a strike order to my rogue and I have Guardian Presence up and his AC pumps from 16 to 20 at level 4, right? That's really powerful, right? right. Um, if he's up against two guys, the first attack he takes, whether or not that attack hits or misses, the Presence bonus drops off. Right. Um and the second, so I, I, you know, I think a one roll high potency, uh, a one roll high potency bonus is pretty, is, uh, is pretty, pretty fine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's kind of, I'm kind of with buddy on that. I think it's one of those things where if you wanted to really get like game, the number system, you're going to have people who do that anyway. That's so, true, that's so it's like, this is no more. This is no more different than someone making, I don't know, a magus that you kind of you know, use your int to carry you when your physical stats aren't that high. Right. Like, right. You, you, you can do that. It's just, you know, I think the core design kind of prohibits that. And I think it's really interesting that that's an option rather than a optimization choice. So I, th I think to that end, it's not as powerful as it might be. Okay. I, I think it's I think playtesting will show it. We'll, we'll show what... What's yeah, up? that's also uh, like a I can point. see what you guys are saying. I don't know if I agree one hundred percent, but I see it. Um, also, is this is this AC bonus typed? Uh, I guess not. But that would be if if I I think that would actually probably be the best way to uh, to nerf it if it needed to be nerfed. To, yeah, to, yeah, exactly to bring it to bring it in line. I right? agree with that. If you make it a if you made it a dodge bonus, I think that kind of puts it in line with a lot of, you know, more traditional class features. Because dodge bonuses stack for themselves, but they don't affect your flat-footed. Yeah. So it still lets you I, get yeah, ambushed, okay. which I is... I could see it either being a dodge bonus or, like, a shield bonus. Because most people don't get a shield bonus from a lot of things. I was, I was actually thinking the same thing as Mango. I was thinking of a shield bonus. But the, yeah. the thing that I think... I think Guardian Presence would get... Like, I like Guardian Presence in the sense of... I can give Guardian Presence to the wizard who just had a goblin clothes on him. Right. right? Uh, but I don't like Guardian Presence as a way to, uh, you know, make my tank unhittable, right? And so, you know, I, I think an overlap on shield bonuses like that would be would be pretty okay. But I also yeah. do kind of agree that flat-footed is, a, a, like, I think that uh, if, if it was typed, flat-footed is easier to get around, obviously, than a shield bonus. Um all touch know. attacks. I don't really have. Uh, yeah. Th yeah. Uh, right, but I'm just saying, you know, like, 
I, as a GM, I know that I can flank this guy to negate his guardian bonus if I have to. Um, um, I think something to consider is maybe making it a choice between a dodge or shield bonus. Then that's sort of also yeah, another option for the warlord. That's that's interesting. Because um, then, like, it's like, do you want them to be less hittable by firearms, or do you want them to, you know, not get, sne- you know, sneak attacks to death kind of thing? That is, uh, so, that's pretty interesting, actually. Like, yeah, a lot. yeah, again, I think it's stand type for the moment. I think playtesting will kind of bring out what's... Right, what's, that what's, might be uh, too, com- too complex kind of I thing. I also think, yeah. the other thing, I also think Guardian Presence is very good early, but it falls off very yeah, hard. Yeah, I agree. By the time you pick up your second presence, Guardian is almost kind of universally going to be the worst presence on the list. Um, and I think that that's okay. Uh, especially because I also think that it's, you know, I think uh, specifically that Bravado and Berserker Presence are very, very good early pickups as well. So, uh, you know, I, I think that 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 kind of interaction is also kind of working against it. But to get into that, I suppose, uh, Bravado Presence is, um, it's the functionally the exact same, but instead of pumping the allies AC, you pump the allies next attack roll equal to the remaining points in, you know, the, the command pool. Um, so. I think, um, you know, I think Bravado Presence is just sort of a no-brainer, like, Bravado and Berserker are both just there. Like, you know exactly what they're there for. One's for melee attack, or, like, for attacks, one's for damage. Yep. Cool. Like, that's that's great. I like that it's also not precision damage, so I think that's something that's kind of underutilized for a Berserker Presence anyway. Yeah, um... Like, can you want to read off Berserker Presence? Because I think they do kind of go hand in hand. Uh, yeah, sure. Berserker Presence, uh, you know, while in Berserker Presence, a Warlord uses the power action uh, to buff a damage roll. And can apply to weapons or single target spells, and the bonus is equal to two plus the remaining points of command in the Warlord's command pool. Um, the damage is multiplied on a, on a critical, critical hit. hit. Yeah. Okay. So why why the why the extra two? Just just out of curiosity. I don't think I don't think um, the uh, I I don't think damage numbers scale are kind of on the same percentile almost as. Um, armor and ac right um and so the extra two is just like a little bump to get to to like get it into good territory for instance uh you know like let's say i'm you know i'm i'm a level four warlord and i i hit it at the top of the building a plus five damage bonus is you know like that's that's big and that's meaningful and that feels more equivalent to a plus three ac bonus than a plus three damage bonus to me. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I also think that using Berserker Presence at low command would be just garbage otherwise. Uh, plus right. one to AC, plus one to attack. That's fine, but plus one to damage is just like... Not great. Yeah, yeah but plus three, you know, plus three kind of... That's fine. Makes that's, it still that's worth where, it. Yeah. That's where it feels uh, feels right to me. So, um, just just that, uh, just the, the only thing that pops into my mind is that like something like Strike, which gives you the charisma bonus to your damage on the on, on this free attack that you get from the strike order um will also activate berserker presence if you're in berserker presence um do you did like do you think that that's potentially problematic it just seems like it could like early like let's say you take it at level four and you've got like a three charisma modifier and like three command points right like you've, you've just done everything in intelligence and charisma that's eight damage 
an eight damage bonus at level four. Maybe I'm off by a point because you have to spend. Does the That's, does the presence yeah, so activate before or after you spend the point? After the presence okay. triggers after the uh, you you command the ability. Uh, I actually originally had it written uh, a different way, um, where where it was more like so skirmisher presence is written this way where it only applies on the ally's turn. Uh, on an attack the ally takes on their turn. But I actually po I popped that off when I moved, if you remember, the critical order from 7th level to up to 15th level. Um, what it does... Uh, I, I think the Warlord really wants a, a damage order in there, right? And he really doesn't have one in the early game, uh, comparatively. And so um, I that, that interaction is intentional because it's... It's the best way that a warlord can pump burst damage when his party needs it, which I think is good. Like, I think that's also cool compared to, like, the bard, where everyone's going to get this plus two for most of the fight, but the warlord kind of gives you a plus eight one round. Like, right. I think that's... I think that's I okay. also think I also think that it's good, uh, especially kind of hitting into later levels, uh, to make it easier to proc uh, your refunds uh, on that's the target. Because you're giving yourself a bigger window to finish somebody off by with uh, with Berserker Presence, with Strike, um, etc. You, 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 you get it. Yeah. That makes sense to me. It, it seems uh, like that, that all seems really good as far as like integration and scaling. Like I think there's, uh, you know, one of the big problems with martial classes in general is that they... Uh, like, figuring out how they scale is kind of difficult. Like, the Gunslinger is a good example of something that scales really well. But at the same time, you know, with gun training, you get your decks to damage with firearms, with a new class of firearms whenever you get it. And in a game like Iron Gods, where each class of firearms is one very specific weapon type, I think that's reasonable. But um, it's like with fighters and weapon training. They get a plus one to a new group of weapons, but realistically, they're always going to be using the same group that they had in the first place. So I think having some sort of scaling mechanic where it's easier to get your pool back. So you have a big pool at low levels. It's it feels smaller at high levels, but you get it more often. I think that's I think that feels really good as a player. Right. Um, the the other two presences, which were a little more nuanced. Uh, the first one is skirmisher presence. Um, empowering while using skirmisher or you whenever you hit an order, uh, it gives you a bonus to your movement equal to one square per point of the Warlord's command pool. Um, the bonus uh, can't be applied to five-foot steps, but it can be applied to anything else, like a charge or a withdraw action. Um, I, I'll probably put this in just because we've put it in a lot of the other movement stuff. It won't be able to exceed somebody's uh, uh, base or whatever. Oh, no, no, no. I guess it has to. Right, because yeah, otherwise there's no point of issuing otherwise it. Otherwise there's no point yeah. of issuing it at all. I was, yeah. uh, I was really confused with uh, Skirmisher Presence in the move order, you know, until you kind of read them. But I was thinking, like, oh god, you could just have the Warlord issue two um, move orders with Skirmisher Presence attached. And have yeah, uh, to be honest, I, f I almost feel like it deserves its own phrase right at the end, just to super clarify. Because technically just speaking, to, as yeah. written, it, it, because it's only movement it doesn't that they work. take on their turn. Right. But uh, right. That, that's a detail that's very easily missed, uh, I feel like. And somebody could look at it and... You know, that, that's something that somebody could look at it and play that way for like ten levels before right. people actually and not realize it. Yeah, see that that preposition right I, at the end. 
I also think what's kind of cool about Skirmisher Presence is, like, the fact that you set up with someone with, like, a strike order, right? And then next turn they can charge into a new, like, new target that they couldn't have charged to before. Yeah. So I think for um, your really, like, you know, you know, brutish kind of guys, it's a really, really interesting presence. I really like, I really like Skirmisher Presence uh, also for heavy, heavy melee. Uh, something that I think is kind of criminal in Pathfinder is, is how hard... Uh, heavy armor tanks your move speed and how hard it is to compensate for that. Um, but uh, Skirmisher Presence is really good at compensating for that, obviously, because... Um... So, the, I'm, I'm going to add my same comment to Skirmisher Presence that I've added to your two move orders, which is, you might want to cap it at, at base move speed, again. You can't. You wouldn't be able to cap it. At base, then it would be worthless. It would be worthless on a rogue, for instance. Because they're already moving at base move speed. No, no, I mean, you might want to cap it at, like... You, at can't like, du- you can only you can, double their move speed yeah. or something like that. That way, that way, move plus, like... That way, you, you can only get so... Like, you can't, like, you know, make the plant creature move 40 feet in the round type of deal. You know, actually, I'm kind of okay with that. Like, I think it's a little bit, you know, brain-stretching in the sense of, like, the fantasy of... Because you're not using magic, it's just, like, your guy, your... You know, your buddy tells you to move so you can move better than you normally can. I see. I see the logic in that, but I'm not quite sure which which side of the. I, I almost feel I as though yeah. the doubling is fine because when the fuck are you ever going? You know what I mean? Like, du- no, I think literally just fine. there is literally just there to kill that plant move move thing, where a plant with five five foot movement can't run right. across the battlefield. But even then, dude, like skirmisher just is not that. Even a super pumped skirmisher. Well, I guess actually a high level super pumped skirmisher would probably get into like six or seven territory. Yeah, and I I don't think it's like I said. I, I think it's fine. Um, like like at doubling move speed, but I, I think even for like a creature with like a twenty base move speed, giving extra an extra thirty movement speed too, is kind of extreme. Yeah, okay, I'm with you. That convinces me. You're right. Um, I think doubling the move speed is the right uh, kind of cap for it. Um, anyway, and then the last presence is Warden Presence. Uh, uh, Warden Presence, um, I actually worded this improperly. Uh, the the power action gives you a bonus to the... Um, the you So you give a bonus to the ally to the save of the ally's choice. Right, so the you the ally can choose, you know, reflex or whatever, uh, and it, the bonus only triggers on spells, um, and is consumed on the first thing. Honestly, this one is the weirdest, and I have a really hard time with it. I kind of feel like it being used on spells is too specific. I, I also tend feel to agree like it not it not being used only on spells is too broad. I don't, no, I don't know that there's a good I, I don't I don't think I don't think that's true because like I think there's some you know, if your warlord is telling you, okay, don't stand in the fire, idiot, like that's gonna work just as well against like a landslide as it is against a fireball. Like, you know, I think the thing with maybe having warden presence not apply to fortitude saves and just have it be on reflex and will makes sense. Because like it's you know, it's it's a little difficult to imagine that you can tell someone to uh you know, just suck it up. That poison's not hurting you that bad, kind of thing. But Although, uh, now I've got this great image in my head of a warlord being like, "Don't eat that!" and slapping a poison biscuit out of somebody's hand. 
<laughs> okay, actually, that's, that's the bonus from the warden. <laughs> stop eating! Stop eating that spoiled meat. <laughs> it's actually kind of a hilarious. Um, you might that's the, maybe, that's the mom archetype. I think maybe for warden presence, because it's like a saving throw improvement, maybe it would be decent enough to split it into uh, like presences for you know each type of save or something like that. But I also don't think it's that big a deal, really, to have it just apply to saves in general, because it's kind of like you're only going to get one of these bonuses per turn. Yeah, so, I, think, you know, I don't like think it's in, powerful enough that you need the distinction. Yeah, I hmm. I agree. Okay. But some, something that like I'm kind of interested in, this is just sort of you know a design idea, is that most of the, you know, all the presences are based around using... Um, are more or less geared towards uh, melee and range characters. There's not a lot of benefit they do for casters, except for the defensive ones. You know, defensive being Warden, Skirmisher, and Guardian. But I wonder if, like, there wasn't... Um, you know, maybe this is a discussion for an archetype, but I think another presence for something that helps spellcasters might be cool. Like, in the um, sense of... Yeah, I have a... I, I definitely feel like Warlords should be most effective with martial classes, right? Um... And I think, you know, like, the base warlord should be best with a rogue and a fighter kind of thing. Okay, yeah, uh, But also sense. applicable to, you know, a cleric and a wizard. The, uh, the, the hard part, I feel like, when it comes to presences specifically is I feel like there's not... There's not a great all-around applicable thing. The only thing I could really think of was caster-level caster checks. But that's just so specific. You know what I mean? That uh, I don't. I, yeah, I think I, maybe focusing in on like um, on what's like like nukers because they're they're you know everybody wants to play like the the nuker, but they're they're uh, power wise a little bit less powerful than your than your gish mage. But like focusing in on that kind of thing, like you know, like berserker presence adds. But damage. they already, yeah, they already do that though, because berserker presence, bravado sure. presence already apply to touch. You know, it would apply to your the attacks no, no, that you're making. No, no, ab absolutely. So. I, I meant in terms of like an archetype, something that would like allow bravado presence to, or berserker presence rather, to apply to like, uh, to AOE spells or like, um, a f like a, a feat or an archetype that lets you like uh in increase spell pen increase. Uh, save DC somehow or something like that. Yeah, I I, I feel that. Uh, yeah, cause the the hard part the hard part was was thinking about it in terms of save DCs and stuff like that. Um, I really felt uncomfortable uh, adding a warlord presence or an order or something along the lines um, that allowed. I for instance, I was thinking about a uh, a straight up order that allowed that allowed the warlord to make a strike order, but for casting a spell. Right, like he gives the ally the immediate action to cast a spell, and I was like, "No fucking way! <laughs> that's that's so good. Yeah. That's so powerful." Like, oh, I'm. Hmm. I mean, if you wanted to, like, if you wanted to nerf, like, keep that down. I, it's weird because of the way that the command pool set up, um, because it would it would be really powerful early and fall off harder. Is something like limit the spell level based on like either like the number of points of the command pull your charisma bonus but that's still very that's very very powerful very early if you made a late order it might work but uh yeah maybe that yeah that's a pretty good point it could uh, <laughs> it could work at a uh, at a late order sorry so, about that my brother just popped in uh so 
continuing on, um, I think the presence, I think that concept of presence is good. Some of the numbers might need a little tweaking, but I think like overall, this is a very Paizo kind of mechanic. And I like the fact that it synergizes very well with the orders. And it also gives you something to do when you don't want to use an order. So like you're always doing something warlordy, for lack of a better term, but it's not going to be like, you don't just sink all your resources into that first fight. Which yeah, I like. I definitely, uh, I definitely agree with that. Okay, well, uh, the next, yeah, the next uh, couple of class features. Uh, the first one is outmaneuvered at level five. Um, basically, the whatever the warlord um, and one of his allies threaten the same target, the warlord uh, can replace his strength or dexterity modifier with his intelligence modifier for his attack roll. Um, if the target is flanked, the warlord also gains his intelligence bonus to his damage roll. Uh, to be honest, this is just a little bit of. Uh, this is cool. Like it's, it's just it's just a little steroid so that if a warlord has to beat stick, he's not garbage at it. Um, because I it's like, a. I also like from like a multi-class standpoint that if you do have like you know a magus uh, warlord or like a swashbuckler warlord mix or something like that, it gives them that nice little extra boost, so it kind of helps them overlap a little better. Like, yeah, I, think, I, I feel that. Especially because it's at level 5. Right. Like, you're multi-classing 5 levels deep in Warlord you with another class like it's that. It's okay, yeah. Like, I think that's. I think it's a really good design. It's simple. It does what it's supposed to do. And it doesn't, like, let you entirely obviate your, one, your two of your stats, right? Yep. Like, that's kind of the criticism a lot of people have for dex to damage. But I think this is a really good implementation because it's very... People like me who hate dex to damage. <laughs> well, uh, I'm, just, I'm just saying I think it's a very elegant solution. I like it. I think it's flavorful. I think it's simple. Um, I think yeah. I think the uh, the name might need to change. Um, <laughs> specifically because uh, it applies yeah. to attack rolls and damage and not to combat maneuvers. And it's called outmaneuvered. Yep. Technically, for technically maneuvers that require it would apply to maneuvers that require attack rolls, so like disarm and stuff like that. But it applies to everything uh, instead of just specifically maneuvers. So I do agree that it is a little bit confusing. Yeah, I, I mean, suppose. you could keep with like what is a focus shot that lets you add dex to a, to, or not dex into it, a, uh, to, to a to yeah. a launch attack. Yeah, call it like out focused. I don't know. Oh, yeah, whatever. Uh, anyway, the next ability is Bulwark at level nine. Uh, the Warlord borrowed from the night. It is yeah. You you were the one that told me about I this. Know, uh, but I know. All adjacent like squares to the Warlord are considered difficult terrain for his enemies. Oh man, that's it's such so a good, great. It's such a great mechanic, and it's so because simple because it denies five foot steps. It's, it's you know, and it's so light. You know, like it's not a power sink. It's a tank focus. You know, th this is one of those things that really types the Warlord into being a tank. I think uh, is getting full work. To be honest, I kind of want to give it earlier at some point, but I the think, early levels are pretty full. Yeah, I think it's good where it is because, like, if you put it earlier, it becomes this risk of dipping. Like, one thing you might do is like switch, um, you know, outmaneuvered and full work. But even then, it's like. Yeah, I, know, I, I think I think there's also an archetype that gets it early. Like, like there's there's. Oh yeah, things. that's fair. Yeah, I definitely think that there's like a full tank warlord archetype yeah. out there that that wants you know to get bulwark at like level three. You know, um, I think. And so I think yeah. you know I want to get to archetypes because I've got a bunch of really cool ideas for that, or I think they're um, cool anyway. But uh, then we've got improved squad tactics, which is at thirteenth level. Um, 
as a standard action, so squad tactics, squad tactics is the teamwork feat sharing thing where the warlord can pretend to be, uh, you know, to pretend to possess a teamwork feat to help out an ally. Improved squad tactics says that as a standard action, the warlord can adopt any teamwork feat for which he is, uh, you know, using squad tactics for, um, for, for a minute. It is, uh, to be honest, I literally was just like, I have nothing to give the warlord at 13th level. What can I give the Warlord at thirteenth level? Uh, and it is—it's uh, this it's kind of like backwards technician. I—I I might say that like I think adopting it for a minute is too long. I might do it for one round per point in command pool or something like that instead, just because that way it's not like you know with the tactician ability on you know the cavalier it it's like a daily ability and even if if like you can adopt it for a minute that's you know not that powerful level 13 but conceptually it really intrudes on that design space i i think and, if you make this a daily ability i think a minute's fine because a minute makes it like a fight long which i think is right. the appropriate space for this so i think like an at will it's just not great yeah interesting i think see the thing that i think of as being prohibitive about this is the action uh, it is it is a warlord using his standard action for an entirely selfish thing, right? He doesn't help. He, yeah, he doesn't help his allies at all. No, by adopting I mean this, and so that's quite why I was like, eh, you know, that's, that's take it for a minute. That's fine. I think it's. I, I get where you're coming from. I still think that it's like design space intrusive, and that's kind of that's that's bad. Like. You know, there's already some space that this kind of overlaps with the Cavalier and the Inquisitor, and that's that's good, right? Like, I think this delivers very well as a concept on what it's supposed to. But at the same time, I think that it's a little unfair to give them this ability kind of out of the ether when Cavaliers have been building it up over time. And to that end, I think it's probably best to make it work for, you know, a shorter period of time or have a limited number of uses. Yeah, I think I definitely go with a limited number of uses. Um, like I, I think having it work because I think Buddy's right that the wow, that I'm the kind of surprised. Economy, I didn't, I just didn't think that it was that. Uh, I don't really think of it as being that powerful. But it's uh, it's not the power. It's the it's the concept. Like okay, Cavaliers get like something like three uses of Tactician by the time they're at the same level as this Warlord. Right, and but all of those abilities last for one party. minute. Every, right. Everyone in his party gets gets a new feat for one minute. And, uh, I, that, but that the thing seems is, like, so much you're executing, no, because it, it's really not, because you're executing the same thing with the, um, with the squad tactics ability in the sense, like, people stock up their own teamwork feats, and then, uh, you know, you're already granting them that benefit, whereas, like, the Cavalier can do that only a limited number of times per day. Yeah, and, and the, the other half of that is that Tactician seems strong because it gives to everybody, but most but in reality, yeah, don't they're only useful everybody. for some section of the party. Whereas, like, with squad tactics, everyone can take the best teamwork feat for their class and then always have it. Whereas the um, tactician cavalier doesn't get that that benefit. Like, the outbound, um... the outbound usage is a lot lower. For instance, like, okay, if the cavalier can grant, um, you know, a teamwork feat for a minute three times per day and they give out flank, that's going to be really useful for your melee characters. But compared to, um, you know, a one-level lower uh, one-level lower warlord who has their ranged character with enfilading fire, their melee character without flank, uh, another melee with precise strike or whatever, that's, you know, they're always benefiting from those teamwork feats all the time. 
And then on top of that, to let the Warlord kind of benefit from that also unlimited, it really kind of shits on the Cavalier. And, you know, maybe that's okay. Like, this is designed to be a support class rather than the Cavalier, which is, you know, ostensibly something that fights kind of on its own. But I I just think it's way too intrusive. See, this is kind of almost feeling like an argument to kill the to just replace the class feature in general. I'm kind of a, I'm kind of whatever on this class feature just because I literally made it to to fill space or whatever. Um, and I think that it's to a certain extent, I think that it's good that it's completely selfish, right? Like I I think it's important that uh, you know a warlord have options uh, that aren't that he that, you know he has some he has some options that help him something right? that might be better that i think is maybe having an ability that lets you kind of copy a teamwork feat from an ally to another ally i was thinking about that too but uh, and I eventually not I have, got rid of it yeah so not not at will much. i think like you know you know a couple times per day you know like once at 13th level again like yeah. you know or, or i think or, or, or maybe something like um you can like a couple times per day you can designate an ally as as having squad tactics, like, you know, as counting, not even giving them the feet, just having them count, um, as having the feet for the purpose. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I, I like, like that, that too, actually. I think that might be the better. I think, or I don't think, I, I think, like, even having that one at will might be okay. I think having that at will is fine. Just because it especially, is. Especially for a standard action. Like, you also might want to be just for one round, though. If it's at will, just have a, because then you have to keep granting that ability to someone to make them, you know, a focal point. I think that's okay. If it lasts for one round, but it's at will, that seems to be a reasonable sort of... I definitely... Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, If it lasted any more than one round, it would be... It would violate my... It would violate my rule of of short duration. Right. uh, So to speak. So, um... Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, The the next one is uh, improved outmaneuver, which is at 14th level of Warlord... He just becomes better at at doing the old outmaneuver. Instead of his strength or dexterity, he just adds his intelligence modifier uh, to all targets that uh, both he and an ally are threatening. Um, And when uh, the Warlord flanks with an ally, uh, that ally gains the uh, intelligence modifier to his his damage rolls as well. Okay. It's just just a number to pump on it. Yep, that's fine. You know? Honestly, I don't imagine that it will actually. I, I kind it of seemed... doubt that any warlord would really have enough in strength or dex to make that really broken. And because it only I locks at the 14th real... level, it's like. I think the real strength for improved outmaneuver might be just that it applies to your full attack, so you can kind of make that choice to swap. You know, instead of giving an order to an ally, if you can get more damage for round out by making a full attack instead of having it only applied to a single strike, I think that's uh, yep. that seems pretty okay to me. Yeah, I'm definitely with you there. Uh, improved Bulwark is at 17th level. A Warlord, uh, because he when um, an enemy that the Warlord threatens uh, attacks somebody that does not target the Warlord, they get a minus two on uh, on that I attack I think that's roll. really weak. I think that's really weak for the level. Something that I think might be more interesting is like if someone's standing in uh, the war like the warlord's range and they attack someone other than the warlord the warlord regains a point of command yeah i think i agree with that that would be great yep i think at like a level 17 that's pretty reasonable compared to like minus two on attacks which is relatively trivial hell i think i think i think so fucking good i think you could give it both and it'd still be fine yeah okay um i mean i I feel that yeah I, i think the recovery when they attack someone else is pretty reasonable 
Um, and then the last one, the uh, the capstone ability for the warlord at it's twenty called level. called paragraph. The ability. It's called par. It's called supremacy presence. Uh, oh. Basically, it's a sixth That's presence. Partial. Yeah. Um, where he gains the benefit of all five presences at once, uh, but all of the command to his uh, to his abilities are doubled. Right. Um, so you. So honestly. This is broken. Yeah, the it's ass, a 20th it's a level ability. Stone, Nobody cares. Right? Yeah, dude, yeah, everybody's It's like level 20. Nobody gives a ass. shit. Oh, okay, um, it's actually not that long. But uh, you have Mark. You have Mark's comments pinned to the bottom of this document. You might want to erase them. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> I will erase them. Ha 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 ha. And we'll probably also, edit this out of I, the podcast. Ha 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 ha. Ha ha ha. No, but I actually, you know, I wasn't here on the first day, but I think giving it um, full BAB is a mistake. I think giving it goodwill saves and medium BAB makes more sense, but that's uh, kind of my opinion. I did, uh, the reason I did full BAB is because uh, the D10 hit dice. I think he has to be really tanky. Uh, I also think that because he's not powering, he's, he's not, uh, not going to be attacking all that much, kind of the, ba- the base attack bonus being high. Is, uh... Well, I okay. mean, first, first know, of all, it's not fair. really that useful. Because the the right. majority of his standard actions are going to be it's, other things, uh, and it's also because he's not pumping into strength or dexterity anyway. It's not like it's going to. Uh, it's just making true. it not shit when he attacks stuff. It's also but the real reason I did it was for the D10 hit is, dice. Yeah. I don't think I don't think he can be like the melee off tank unless he has uh, a D10 hit dice. Otherwise, he's just going to be too squishy and get blown up. Well, you could do D, you could do D10 and uh, medium. Like the barbarian has D12 and has full BAB. So, like, there are classes that do de- decouple that. And I think because it's designed to be a little tankier, that's okay to give it a higher hit die than its BAB would indicate. I think I think Barbarian is literally the only example of that. My it, understanding was it that is, well, it's an example of that because it goes above the maximum, right? Like, it's not like right, you're going to give it a 1.25 yeah, exactly. BAB. But what you're saying, so what you're saying is have it be a three-quarters BAB with a D8 hit dice? No, with a D10. Like D10 or, hit sorry, yeah, with yeah. D10 hit dice? Yeah, I think that's a little more reasonable than to compensate, give them good will saves, because this guy is supposed to be, you know, really headstrong and kind of collected, which is... Oh, yeah, I, well, I, I we actually talked about this on the last cast. I really did... I had him having good will saves, but I felt like I needed to shave power off, so I, I clipped it. I think shaving um, the... I think shaving the BAB bonus off and leaving the hit points intact is uh, good, just I, because, I, like... I'm going to disagree. I think the BAB is more thematic, and I don't think it's that powerful on him. Like, I don't think prom- he's pumping strength. So... The thing is, like, it's also, you know, from my perspective, for multi-classing, which is always going to be a, you know, point of contention with sure. me, is, like, if you dip the Warlord or whatever, you know, you're always getting the full benefit of doing so. Like, in the sense, like, if you make a rogue Warlord for, like, a crime boss or something like that, like, that's cool. But it's, you know, I think it's not that bad. Like, I'm not going to, you know, harangue on it too much, but I think it would be better with a medium BAB. But that's, you know, sort of, that's kind of where I'm at. Like, I think the, the tangential benefits that it provides are very powerful compared to, like, the core benefits. In, in the last podcast, we, I kind of talked about how I think it's right on the edge. I think it's fine to give him the full BAB, but I see your point. Um, I think that's another thing that'll come out more in play. I think it's such a fine distinction that'll come out in playtesting better. Um, yeah, that makes sense to me. But uh, I kind of um, wanted... The, did we have anything else we want to say about Supremacy Presence? We kind of just glossed over. Yeah, oh, yeah Supremacy Presence is... I, it's good. It's, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's fine. Normal. It's whatever. Um... The the other thing I wanted to bring up with you guys before we get into archetypes and stuff is I kind of came up with 
two additional refund mechanics that I like better thematically. I, I like them. I just I straight up like them better than that's the target. I think uh, I think it kind of fulfills, and I feel like Mango is going to like them and Mark isn't. But uh, the, the I have two of them. Uh, the first one is very mechanical. It's a variation on that's the target. It would be a, it would be an order just like that's the target, but instead of proccing uh, the refund when the target drops and being able to use it as an immediate action um it would only proc a refund if two different allies both triggered the mark if that makes sense um so what you do is you would place the mark on as a standard action the first you know and then if one person attacks it fine they get the damage but it's a waste of command kind of kind of thing uh but if two people do it you refund command back yeah to I, you. I think that's i okay. feel like yeah i feel like that uh I like it better because it really it really powers up kind of the uh, the and this works. battle feet, battle leader. Yeah, I agree. You know, okay, cool. I think that's the other good. one, which well, I actually so, so, so I, can, can, sorry, can you give me the full description of that again? It's is it only you said it's something like only on the immediate action or not on the immediate action? Uh, no, you no longer get to take. So, so that's the target has to have the immediate action because otherwise it's impossible to get off correctly. Right, um, it's just think, too weak. Well, I don't it's, think it's, that's it's, true. I think you could be like hit that thing, and then have the party be like, "Okay, well, we're hitting that thing now." Uh, right, but the thing, so uh, because I initially conceived of it as an immediate action and only tacked on the standard action later, it is nerfed to the point where it, it's only as strong as as it okay. is kind of on the, on the immediate action. This one is always a standard action. It always costs one point of command. So if you flub it, right, if you're if you don't get it off, it's a big command thing. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, okay. But I, what I'm is, sorry, I got it backwards in my head. You're, you're, right. that, that sounds and, great. Yeah. Okay. So that this is the one I like most mechanically. But this is the, but the second one, I love this one thematically and I feel like you guys might not. But anyway, um, it would not be orders. It would be a new first level uh, ability, a, 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 which would be called um, coordination, which uh -huh. is that any ally within 30 yards of you can coordinate with the warlord as a standard action. The ally gains the benefit of the warlord's currently active presence and refunds the warlord one point of command. So just like the warlord no. is dipping his action economy, the allies dip their action economy to refill his kind of, uh, or to refill his command or whatever. I'm, and then coupled you know, with I'm, that, you would get a couple later. You would get an ability called like like a battle plan, which is in my mind it's some kind of like skill check. It's like it's like you you would have to you it would have to be like a skill check, which is that. If you and your party spend a minute, you know, preparing for an encounter, the warlord can make like a skill check with like, I don't know, like knowledge history or profession soldier, whatever is applicable. I don't fucking know. Um, and if he succeeds on that check, he refills all of his command. I think all of his command is like too a, powerful. Um, I, I actually like those abilities. I think they would be better as uh, archetype abilities, though. But I think those two are very good. I think there's... Yeah, I was just... I was really hard... I was really brainstorming ways because I really don't like that's the target. Something you might want to do think, for Battle Command is have it X, X per day. I think, like, X per day might be better. It's, like, just, you know... You know, it, like, in the sense of, like, having it be, you know, once or twice per day between combat, you can refill your command pool. I think that's Oof. cool. I think that's fine. Yeah. Um... Hmm. But, Dude, like, it has... Kind of like that. But it has to because be something I, that hmm. you can't spam. That's the big thing, is, like, you can't have it so that between every fight you always go in with full command. 
Yeah. Well, that's the thing because yeah. the idea because that's that's the reason why I feel like it needs to be a skill check, and I also think it would be it's important for it to be a skill check with like a relatively high base. It, like in my mind, this is something like fifteen plus the CR of the encounter. You know what I mean? Like a really high uh, base. That's thing. kind of arcane. No. Yeah. I, I think yeah, that, I mean, I think that like not having a check for it and just having it limited number of times per day makes sense because then you're not kind of pressing people into taking certain non-combat skills. Yeah. Well, the other so the other thing I like about that is uh, is it allows you to if you scout the fight you get circumstance bonuses on that roll, right? So if you oh, just okay. if you do a battle plan into an empty door, well, that's kind of meaningless, and it's like you're you're. That is less useful than if you have, you know, a rogue who – or, like, a wizard who can scry across the door or, you know, whatever. That would be a shitty use of scry. But, you know, whatever, uh, in order to give you uh, – in order to give you the inform- – maybe maybe you could only use it, uh, you know, when you get that information. I, I think right? having if it not – uh... I think having it not be a check – like, I, I think that, that the certain amount of, like, circumstance bonuses, like, to – for like and putting that on the GMs to determine, I think is not great. I think something like you know the, the GM determined is if they can reasonably plan out the battle or like planning into an empty door is you know you know outside you know planning into an empty door probably shouldn't give it, but like you know giving the GM that kind of guidance to be like well if they can survey the battlefield and get the jump on them then they can activate this ability without a skill check I think is better than trying to be like well if they plan into an empty door they can still make the roll versus a secret number that you know um and like how do you deal, how do you deal with a situation where they plan into an empty door with nothing on the other side right the CR of that encounter is zero he's like he refills his command pool because he happened to dump dump uh check yeah, into wow, the empty that room is super true yeah, I mean, obviously these are very off the cuff ideas, which is sure. kind of why I wanted to bring them up. Um, I, I like the one with I, I like I like it being something that you can only trigger when you have, you know, like when you have information to go on. Yeah. Um, but I do think, uh, but I do I do like it. I also like it as like a mid level ability. You know, this is an ability that you get at level eight. You know, that feels makes good, sense I, to me. I, I think. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's good at level one or two or three kind of thing. I I think. I think Mark's idea of having it be, like, maybe once per day at level 8, and then, like, that can scale up a little bit, um, and then have it be, like, you have to have full, like, you know, you have to be able to plan for the battle, and you spend some amount of minutes planning for that battle, um, and then, uh, and then you could even, like, expand that into feats, be like, you know, rapid tactician, you can use that ability, uh, with a shorter amount of time or something like that. Um, I, th- I think that's the, the way to go with it rather than trying to make it a skill check because you're already kind of um, forcing a skill. Yeah, no, with, I 100% with... agree that, that skills are uh, a poor way to do yeah, it. Yeah, like, like I said, you're already forcing a skill with combat medic. I think forcing two skills is a big no-no, um, especially with a class that gets, that gets uh, a relatively low base, two-plus intelligence modifier, which which will be fairly sizable, but I think taking up, like, a third to a half of your skill points with, with, you know, essentially forced choices is bad. All right. I, th- I mean, I think you could, I think you, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if you had it applied to like a million different skills, but I do agree that it's just the worst, uh, the worst implementation um, off the top of my head. So after this, um, we've, we, we don't have a ton of time left. Um, I kind of wanted to go back and go back over orders, but maybe that's something we can do at a different time. Everybody seems to be really excited to talk about archetypes, so do we want to do that instead? Uh, it's fine yes, me. please. 
All right, Mark, since you seem bursting at the seams, let, let's let's let, let's go around in a circle. Mark, why don't you why don't you start with your your first idea for an archetype? And we'll each share an idea until we run out. Of I time. think uh, so. The despot warden would be something based more around like betrayal feats in the sense of like it's an inversion on the orders. Instead of benefiting your allies, you kind of penalize them to boost yourself up, or something like that. Or like you throw Jesus people under the bus to fucking Christ. Yeah. Holy shit. So, oh my god. Oh my god. Right. That, wow. So I think something like that would be pretty cool. Um, I think the com- the Commissar Warlord would be more of like a mage kind of like defender sort of thing. But like their their whole thing is more or less based around like giving orders to your spellcasting allies so they don't go crazy or whatever. You know, like it's based on like the 40k idea, but uh, they could be focused around boosting up your mages, which is really strong, but could be kind of interesting like in an in world sense yeah then i think uh like um the martyr warlord would be like a tank like really really tank focused so instead of issuing commands they're more about like issuing taunts and stuff like that so like there could be some overlap with them in the despot and i think like a more stealth focused warlord for like kind of like a navy seal style leader where it's like all right we're gonna go in we're gonna do these things with like combat engineering kind of stuff would be also pretty neat. Maybe something akin to the investigator or something like that. I think the I think that would be cool. Yeah. Like those are those are my four kind of things that I think are workable. Yeah, I I think that something like uh some of my days for something like a like a general type aspect, which is kind of that I, I said it in the first podcast, but like a ranged a more ranged uh warlord with kind of like the ability, this kind of like higher level view, maybe give them as maybe kind of give it some NP- NPC esque abilities that kind of like benefit into mass combat or something like that, because um, that that feels like a natural extension of of, of those kind of abilities, um, along with like this kind of standard idea of like a tactician warlord, where he just kind of has a tactician ability and um, maybe you give this original outflank or improved out. Um, uh, improved squad tactics to him because then he can take it from an ally and spread it to everybody else. It takes him two actions to do that, but that's like, I think I think that's an appropriate trade off for like for two two rounds worth of actions if you really need it in the situation. Um, did I have something else? I thought I um, there was another idea I had for something um, along the lines of like, uh, kind of in the same kind of vein as the despot, um, something like. Something where their abilities, instead of boosting your allies, is mostly just, like, screwing with the enemy. Um, that might inter- overlap with, like, which hex is too much. Um, and then I had, I had an idea, I think, for, like, a single mechanic, which was kind of, like, um, something... I don't know if this would fit into a particular archetype, maybe, like, a, a spirit warlord or something, but something like um, an ability that lets you count as your ally... Um, if like if the cleric wants to heal one of the allies, he can she can touch you and you count as your ally for that or something like that to kind of give that kind of. Oh, I get it. So you basically work as like a node on the battlefield. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, the the big one that I wanted to do was a uh, you know like a full tank warlord who kind of trades out orders for. Um, uh, it, in my mind, he would be he would be uh, a little bit like 
the warden from fourth edition uh where it's 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 still very enemy enemy focused with a lot of cc and stuff like that but uh you know all of his order he, he doesn't really give orders to his allies all of his orders are a little bit more like the swashbuckler a little bit more like the gunslinger and that there's stuff that affects himself but instead of doing more damage it's a lot of cc kind of uh kind of stuff along those lines uh, i also wanted i also had this idea for a warlord it would be a little bit like this commissar that you're describing but it, it's it'd be like a version of the warlord that's like the stygian slayer um who has right a couple of shadow casting uh well it wouldn't be shadow necessarily it would just be magic right i like the idea of like a warlord that can uh that can use spell like abilities to you know teleport around the the, the battlefield in a certain in a certain way um, i feel like, warlord like that, the warden uh, concept would use... be good well or, or like a warlord that could use uh you know spell like abilities for things like um uh, what's that shield that, that gives you deflect shield of faith that kind of stuff not necessarily right shield of faith, but just like those kinds of you know those kinds of things as spell like abilities uh, I also like the idea of having a calvert like a warlord with a mount who is cavalry focused almost not even really as a PC archetype but just I really like the idea of uh, I like the idea of like an NPC or like a, a villain kind of running around with his like group of cavalry, just like absolutely wrecking people with like cavalry focused orders. Yeah. But, uh, actually uh, that, that's pretty like you, you know, you could, you could, I think build like, like a, a whole character, like a, a cla an archetype around that. Something like, you know, um, the, this warlord, one of his orders lets you use a mounted combat more than X times, you know, improves the number of times you can use it per round type of deal. yeah exactly i think that that there's there's a lot of kind of opening for that uh to be honest uh i really don't have any plans on writing any of these archetypes myself i'd like to finish you know i'd like to finish right. the warlord and publish it so to speak and then if you know people want to come in and uh do uh do archetypes that's kind of up to them the thing that i want to do is add in a good suite of feats uh you know like class feats yep. to to flesh out um how, how do you I, how do you feel about signature order uh i actually i think that's good i want to i want there to be signature okay. order i, th I think um, i think we need to at some point then go back and talk about the order some more um we're kind of reaching the end of our time now but uh talk about the order some more because i think one of the over like the more i think about it, one of the overarching things things that need to be adjusted about the orders are their costs because right now they're all costed at one um, and I think that you could make some I, of them more expensive. Um, yeah, I, I definitely think that some of them are kind of on the line of being worth two. Um, but uh, I'm personally, I really like... I'm personally happy with all of them being one. I think it's a really simple kind of execution. Like I think that it might be a little strong, but I think it's okay. Yeah, I mean, I've always, I've always, I've kind of designed all of the classes with the idea of, well, it's kind of broken. For, you know, like a warlord to have signature order strike, for instance. But I actually don't think that that's true. I think signature order, you know, like one feat for that and, and having that be that, I don't know, that feels fine to me. I don't think that that's broken in any way. I think that it's good design uh, because I do think that, um, I think that in gen, without signature order, um, you uh, run the risk of, just like people getting their command pools absolutely decimated all the time because they're so low, uh, comparatively speaking. Um, I don't know. It's just something I've been thinking about. I, I, I get that, but I feel like 
I feel like if you think that everybody has to take signature order, then then you need to do some adjustment to the order pool. Like, I don't think any feat should ever feel mandatory. Well, I don't think it is mandatory. I think it's mandatory for. Uh, but if if I'm if I'm a warlord with the high charisma, low intelligence. Uh, kind of archetype signature order is very very good for me yeah if i'm the empower sort of warlord where i'm high intelligence low charisma and i'm all about my presences i i don't think signature order makes a lot of sense okay fair yeah. enough um i think i again i think there's some more design to be going to that maybe we'll do it as part of a future episode but i think we're just about out of time at this point um any closing thoughts guys uh, I think it, I think the Warlord's actually like very well designed. I think the connections to the Swashbuckler and Gunslinger are really solid. And you know, aside from a few minor you know tweaks and concerns, I think it's you know I'd let it I'd let a player play it. Uh, yeah, well, I, I'm gonna hold you to that because I, I I look forward to seeing it in some form of that. I, to be honest, I almost want to uh, bring it up for Hell's Rebels, but I really don't actually because I don't want to tempt anyone into. We, we, everyone's already locked in their classes and everything like that, and I don't want to tempt anybody out of that. And on top of it, I really do feel like I it needs a little bit – it needs more fine-tuning. I think uh, like it needs I, to I be – that... it needs some one-shot play tests. Yeah, uh, Yeah, I that agree. makes sense to me. I'm, I'm so, down for – I think that makes a lot of sense. Some one-shot play tests with people who are actively trying to break the class as hard as possible. So basically uh, yeah. any any of us. Right. And, and... <laughs> yeah. Uh, except, except the problem is we're going to have like a three warlord party and it's not going to work out because we're like, everybody use more actions and it's not. Yeah. Gonna... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Do you guys have any, are, are you guys going to get into, do, does that, do you have any classes that you want to, you want to homebrew? Are there going to be any additions to the warlord for our, you know, some derps talk about games pantheon of, uh, of homebrew? Uh, I've got a few ideas, but none I really want to talk about right now. Yeah, may- maybe in the future. Um, Honestly, I think between like I think in general, this is like one of the few niches that there's not already a class for. The other being like a like gadget based rogue type character. So I think you know I think all things considered, there's not a lot I can really add that's not out there already, and that's that's good though. Like I think that's really cool that people have kind of designed into that space. Uh, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, I think our our topic for next week's episode is going to be, because it's going to be the last uh, episode of the year, our games of the year, favorite stuff of the year. Um, but, uh, but otherwise, I guess, uh, I guess we're good. I guess we're, uh, we're donezo. We're yeah. out, we out there. Thank- right. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's yeah. been a pleasure. Of course. Um, if you guys want to watch us play these games you can watch us at twitch.tv slash some derps play games uh tomorrow will be uh, i shouldn't say tomorrow because this podcast is definitely not going up tonight um but on mondays it's rune lords uh gm'd by mark where buddy and i play in along with some other folks on tuesday it's iron gods which is gm'd by our friend nick um and it's uh and then the three of us are players in that game along with uh, a couple other people um, and I'll have links in the description to anything. If you want to email us and tell us how terrible or how great the warlord is, you can email us, email us at some derps play games at gmail.com. Um, and, uh, you can also comment on the SoundCloud. I read them all, um, all zero of them. And, uh, <laughs> and I think that's about it. Um, did you want to pimp anything, buddy or Mark? 
I guess we can announce this officially, uh, which is that the first kind of one-shot intro session for Hell's Rebels will be played on January 2nd, uh, which is a Saturday, so the day after New Year's. Um, it will be, uh, yeah, it'll be streamed on the channel just like uh, all of our other ones. We probably won't start up. It's not like we're, it's going to be a regular Saturday thing. It's just I want to get that intro session out there so that when Iron Gods uh, kind of closes down, we can really hit the, go- hit the ground running. But, but yeah. Yeah, I need to finish up my character sheet for that. Um. <laughs> uh, I did. I, I did add. Uh, I added all of the noble families, so uh, you can you can read about your pop. Oof, Jaltero. Uh, what's, what's yeah, it was somebody somebody Jaltero. Mm. Uh, is is this buddy? Is this buddy lore? Or is this official? Or is this uh, Galarian lore? Uh, but this is buddy lore. They actually didn't give it. They. I. I. I'm four APs deep. Uh, I'm four books deep in the AP, and I kind of expected because they teased it. They said that you know they were going to go into more detail in these noble houses. Um, I I personally cut two noble houses that I didn't like and replaced them with noble houses that I do like. Uh, but Jaltera wasn't on that list of cuts, obviously. And um, I thought they were going to give me the information. You know, I thought that they were going to give me uh, give me more to go on, but they really didn't. They just kind of gave like a little like. It's not even a stat block. It's just like a little block with like a couple of adjectives to describe the you know. You yeah. know? Um, so I I extrapolated my own kind of personality and backstory and all of that kind of stuff uh, from there. All right. Well, until next time, dear listener. Uh, Mark, sorry, Mark. Did you want to? Did you want to? No, I'm good. Again? All yeah, right. I'm good. Well, then, until next time, dear listeners. This has been some derps talk about games.